I cuss in front of my grandma. So you're really not going to be protected here. You've been warned. Hey y'all, I'm Jen. I'm from Oakland and I'm a queer black feminist scholar. This is Darren, hailing from the mean streets of Anaheim. I'm an introvert, a novelist, and a nerd. We're early 30-somethings with three kids and over a decade of marriage. This is a podcast about the realities of blackness and adult life. We do adult differently. This is That Black Couple. Greetings, everyone. Greetings. Tis us. The two of us. The two of us together. This is episode 24 of season two of That Black Couple. This is Jen. This is Darren. And we're going to have you grab, because you know we all bougie now. We live in upstate New York now. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. So we're going to have you grab some beer, even though people say we don't drink beer because we drink cider beer. Yeah, but but I prefer like a locally sourced cider beer that's used like New York apples. But like the local, mm-hmm. you know, like a local brewery, mm-hmm. like a small batch did you say small batch? Yeah, you know, small batch. We don't do like mass. Consu- well, I do, you know, when forced, I'll do an angry orchard, you know? When forced. When forced. But I prefer the local. You are so fucking bougie. <laughs> anyway, before we get started, make sure you follow us on Twitter and on Instagram at That BLK Couple, on Facebook at That Black Couple, and look us up on the internets at www.thatblackcouple.com. You can stream episodes on Google Play, Apple, iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and Spotify. Spotify. Finally. Finally. It took forever. It took us two fucking years. So wherever you want to listen to your your podcast, you can find us on there. Yes, we're on Spotify. Um, And just as you listen to us, make sure that you give us like all the stars, all the thumbs up, all the good ratings, and throw us a comment if you have a chance to, because we want to talk to you. And also because we're fine. Yeah, and... That's us. That's why. That's that's enough reason. I agree. Okay, so we're finally back. It's episode 24, and we had all this stuff planned, but I think we need to do like a welcome back episode, like, bitch, where you been at? Yeah, and and that's, I think think that's the thing is, we've been living life. It's been a lot of life. It's been a lot of life. It's been a lot of life. Um, In the last, how many months? Four months? Four months. That's a long time. I'm so sorry, y'all. I am so sorry that it's taken us four months to record a podcast. We really ain't shit. I really, I really would like to blame you for this. I was gonna say it's Darren's fault. But <laughs> <laughs> that was the first thing I was gonna say. It's Darren's it's, fault. <laughs> I, like I said, I would like to blame you, as I think you were the impetus for most of these life events that we've been occurring. Uh, yeah. Been occurring. Yeah, but, that's true. But that I don't think that's fair. Okay, thank you. I, I think we've both shouldered the burden. Okay, so this is what we're going to do. Let's do a revisitation. Let's revisit who we are, what we're about, what's happened over the last four months, and also kind of revisit the format of the podcast. So usually we do a first things first, which is like a how we got here, why are we talking about this today? Then we do a, the conversation section where usually Darren comes out with all the facts and all the figures and all the information, and then we talk about what's going on, and then we have a reflection at the end, which is like, Here's how this relates to us personally and yada, yada, yada. So I think we can still do that today, but we'll do it specifically about our lives. And then 
what's happened over the last four months and like reintroducing you to that black couple because it's been a while. It's been a minute. It's been a minute. You ready? I'm ready. Let's go. Let's go. So the last time we did this, it was episode 23. We were sitting in a friend's house in Arkansas and we were recording the episode on polyamory. Wow. So that was a while ago. What has transpired since that episode was released? So much life. So much. All right. Here we go. So we sold a house in Chicago. We bought a house in New York. We moved our family across the country. We picked up everything, got in the car, drove to Philly, hung out there with family, drove to Boston, hung out there with friends, drove to Syracuse, where we live now. And then we had to live in uh, hotels for about a month, waiting for our house to finally close mm-hmm. because we had the home seller from hell. That was so much fun. Um, and we finally got in our house around well, September 5th. <laughs> I feel like you can't go through that that fast. I'm trying to be concise here. Yeah, but I just feel like people listening are thinking, what the entire fuck? <laughs> You drove around the country and then you drove to Syracuse and lived in hotels for a month? Correct. Like, yeah. What is your life? Well, it wasn't fun. We was, didn't enjoy it. It was horrible is what it was. The kids didn't like it. Oh, we got a puppy. Yeah, we got a puppy in the we midst of that. We got a puppy in the midst of that. Yes. Why yes. not? Since we last were on the podcast, we now have a puppy. So she was on the road with us. Her name is Domino Dejanae Jackson. Mm-hmm. And she is now a member of the family. She's seven months old now. And yes, she was on the road with us in the van full of children and boxes and a puppy and that black couple. (laughs) If there's one thing you've learned about us, everything we do is bananas. Everything we do has to be fantastical. It can't be normal shit. Like we can't just like get a job, get on a plane, fly there, move in, go to work. No, we got to drive around the country. We got to like live in a hotel, not one hotel, multiple hotels, because, you know, yeah, of think, course, there's not a free space for a solid month of time. Yeah, I think it was like four hotels. Right? Perhaps. And some we, we went and then multiple we left times. and then we came back to it. To the point where they knew our again. name and our puppy's name. Yeah, it was bad. They're like, oh, Domino's getting bigger. I'm like, girl, if you don't get the entire, <laughs> if you don't get the entire fuck out my business, they're like, have you started your job yet at Syracuse? What's going on at this university? So that's the other thing. I'm a professor at Syracuse University now, and that has been wild. Uh, We just are finishing up our first semester. So we got in the house in the beginning of September, got the kids enrolled in school, and took off running. Like, hella travel. I've been traveling to D.C., Honolulu, uh, Cali. You went to... I've been to New York City twice. Yeah. So this past four months, I know people were like, where is the podcast? What the fuck are you doing? I assure you, we were not being neglectful. No. No. I mean, we were busy. We were, we were busy. doing a lot of things. We were houseless for a good portion of that. Mm-hmm. And at sometimes I didn't even know where the podcast equipment was. No, I, I knew where it was. I said I. Yeah, you didn't. <laughs> it was it was behind it was behind our youngest son's seat. In the car. In the van. As we were driving across yeah. the country. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean... But but clearly we packaged it well because everything Everything works fine. Everything works fine. And we made it here. And that's what matters. We survived it. We've been through a lot. I mean, we... You know, what? how long have we been together? 17 years? Ooh, 
I know. It's been, I know, it's been a pure joy the whole time. Yeah. I know. Just makes me feel really old. Well, we are. I'm like, damn, I've been married for that that long? Yeah, we're we're aging with a fine wine. That is true. It is true. And 17 years, we were on campus at USC for five years of that. And then we hopped in a car and drove to Orange County and moved there and didn't sleep for 24 hours and got married. Then about a year later, had a kid and bought a house. Then we had the kid at the same time. Same time. And then we started new jobs. And then we had another kid and then started another job and pledged sororities and tried to get our finances together. And then we're like, hey, maybe Jen should have a career change and decided to go back to grad school. That was fun. Mm-hmm. Pregnant, grad school, and pledging. All yep. fun stuff and like work and working full time and working. That was so fun. And then I liked how you followed that up with stopping working and then also homeschooling children at the same time. I <laughs> thought like, that was a nice combination. You like that one? You yeah. like that one? You like when I had the third child and then stopped working and then homeschooled the oldest child, potty trained the second child, and breastfed the third child all simultaneously. It was it was a moment of complete and utter joy. Yep. It was really interesting. It was really interesting. And then and then we said, hey, how about we take all of this and move it to Chicago? Yes. And then, you know, we did grad school because grad school's not that hard when you've already done all the stuff that we just said we did. Yeah. Why not get a PhD too? Why not? Why not? So we did that. It took five years. We, you know, raised children. When we got there, our oldest was six. Our middle child was two and the youngest was only a few months, eight months, 11 months and started walking a couple of weeks after school started, which was cool. And now they're all big and old and stuff. And it was like five years of interestingness in Chicago. Five years of hectic, um, ridiculous, <sighs> crazy. Yeah. Making life work. I mean, we definitely, definitely survived it, which was really, I think, the baseline goal. Um, were we thriving through it? I don't think so. I mean, I I will say this. More people saw me in my pajamas than I would like to be honest about. Um, at the grocery store, at the kids' school, picking up my mail. Shoveling snow. Shoveling snow. Shoveling snow. I shoveled so much fucking snow. Yeah. yeah. But, we, but we, we throw a mean shovel now. Did you say throw a mean shovel? We throw. Throw. Oh you heard that correctly. God. We throw a mean shovel now. Anyway, being that we're both from California, that was quite overwhelming. That first winter was obtrusive. It was offensive. It was It was a polar vortex undermining. Is what it was. It felt personal. I don't need to live there ever again. But if you can live through that. You can live through anything. I'm saying. So here we are now. We're in Syracuse. We have our house. Our babies are here. Our puppy is here. Our life is pretty chill, I would say. And uh, I think we're finally settling. So yeah. and 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 we cannot forget this mm-hmm. because if you were, if uh, all of you listeners remember if you were listening closely mm-hmm. in our prior home we were recording out of our basement. Yes, we were. Um, there were toys and Legos, knickknacks, all types of things around and us. And honestly, our daughter loves paper. Yes, yeah, so there was a lot of there's a lot of paper, paper goods. just strewn, strewn about. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But now. I mean, we're still in our basement. We're still in our basement. In a new house. <laughs> but we have this space dedicated solely yes. for podcasting. Yes. Yes. There's a door. Yes. 
it closes. Correct. Only podcasting things go in here. Correct. All toys and kid-related items stay, stay out. out. Yes. And that's a big accomplishment. Like, we're grown-ups and shit. We're moving on up. It's like we're adults. <laughs> a little bit. A little bit. A little we're, bit. We're trying to adult. So we know that we've been, you know, slacking on the podcast. We know that people have been asking us, where's the podcast? We've gotten emails. Uh, Texas, as Cardi B would say. And uh, phone calls. And so we know that we've been behind. We know it, y'all. It's been four months, and we are so sorry. But this is what we're going to do. In the next segment, yes. we're going to catch up on We're going to catch months. up on hella we're shit. Gonna, it's like going to be a speed round. Yes. In, in the conversation today, we're going to go through. I'm going to have my three topics. Darren's going to have his three topics. And we're going to try and catch all the shit. We might not catch all of it. If we miss some stuff, email us. Maybe we can add it to the next couple episodes. We will try and catch all the shit that we've been meaning to tell y'all and talk about for the last four or five months. And that's what the conversation will be today. So this is the Welcome Back episode. Welcome back. Welcome back. Thank you for listening. We are the proud founders of watercoolerconvos.com, a platform at the intersections of blackness, culture, and adulting. We started that black couple to dive deeper into the issues facing young black millennial folks navigating the anti-black, anti-queer, white supremacist world today. This podcast is supported by donations and patronage of our listeners and readers of our blog. You should head over there and check out some of the content when you get a chance. If you would like to become a monthly subscriber or patron and help fund our content, Sign up at www.patreon.com forward slash watercoolerconvos. Patreon is spelled P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com. Please consider giving $5 or $10 per month to help us build our platform and grow our organization. We really want to hire new writers and social media people, y'all, but we can't do that without your help. You can also give a one-time donation at www.paypal.me forward slash water cooler combos. All donations are welcome. You can stream the show on Google Play, Apple iTunes, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. When you listen, please consider hitting that heart button, sharing an episode, giving us a five-star rating, and leaving some dope-ass comments. This helps us with our page views and also gives us more listeners for the show. Thank you so much. Let's get back to the show. All right, so we're here in the conversation. My favorite time. I know, you big nerd. So I think we should start talking about poly life and what's going on on that side of things because our last episode was about polyamory and dating and all that stuff. And people seem to really be taken by it and wanted to know more about it. So I think we should talk about it right now and then we can talk about how we'll incorporate that into future episodes. Let's go. All right, so... In case you were a new listener, or maybe you're an old listener, who knows, but I am Polly, and Darren is... I am monogamous. Correct. And I am queer, and Darren is... <laughs> I am straight. <laughs> well, we also have to say, you're you're not Polly, you're polyamorous, for those that might oh. not know what Polly means. Yes, I'm polyamorous. Um, I'm more of a relationship anarchist, so I tend to make connections with people based on how each individual interacts with me and their energy. So friendships, romantic, platonic, whatever it is, I don't really pay attention to societal rules around how people should act and how you should show affection and who gets to share intimacy. I don't care about any of that bullshit. 
I just interact with people based on how we feel and what feels good. So I'm a relationship anarchist, and we talked a bit about this on our last episode. Um, but the focus of the last episode was really about being married, being queer, and how you navigate all these different poly issues. But I think what people really want to know about is how we do what we do, right? So how we are poly and monogamous and married and have three kids and how we like do life. So here's some updates. <laughs> um, I think the last time we had the podcast up and running, I was in a relationship with a monogamous guy. Yes. That ended up being a very abusive situation and that ended in August for good. I'll never interact with that person again. Burned to the ground. Burned to the ground. He burned it to the ground. Leo Min. Never again. Never. Never. Um, okay. So now I am in uh, a poly relationship with another guy who is long distance, who lives in California. Um, he is also poly and married and has multiple partners who are all over the country. Um, I'm also dating pretty widely, I would say, I guess. I'm interested in lots of different people, but I wouldn't consider them necessarily partnerships or relationships, but I am absolutely open to having those. Um, I think what's interesting about where we are now is that it's fully incorporated into our household. So for instance, the other day, my partner who lives in California played video games with my son who's here. So they played, you know, Smash Bros online, which is a new thing for us. Yeah. Yeah. How'd you feel about that? Um... How did I feel about that? Um, honestly, I just felt bad for my son. Because <laughs> he, you know, in his house, he plays the most. And so he tends to win all the video games. And he really went into it thinking that he was going to demolish whoever came up against him. Yeah. Um, and he learned a lesson. Yeah. And I, I mean, we were all, we were all rooting for him. It, it was a good solidarity we moment for our household. For him. I was rooting against my partner. Yeah, you were. I was. You know, you know, it's it's blood. You got you got to stick yeah, with you blood. Yeah, you got to stick with your babies. Um, but but he got whooped. But he got his ass handed to him. Yeah, and multiple that was, times. That was interesting. But he was a good champ. He was a good. Yeah. He was a good a good sport about it. And he was like, you know what, your boyfriend's terrible, mom. Yeah. And that was that. But he and still he still wants to play against him in the future. Yeah, he's like, I'm going to study up and play yeah, against more people, and I'm going to come back. <laughs> and I believe him. <laughs> I believe him too. And I think that's the thing, and maybe that's what we are trying to update folks on in terms of like how we do poly, is that it's just part of our lives. It's just part of our normal lives. I'm poly everywhere I go. I'm not poly in some circles. I'm not poly at some moments. I'm always poly, just like I'm always queer, just like I'm always black and I'm always woman. Um, I think that that's why for us, it's pretty effortless. And we said this in our intro episode, our very first episode that like, we really haven't changed that much since we got together when we were 17 and 18 years old. I mean, I would like to think that I'm just a more exaggerated version of my old self. Why are you rolling your eyes? I think that's, I think exaggerated is the wrong word. Okay. I think you are a freer version <laughs> of your old self. Okay. Okay. I think all the elements were always there. They've now just been let loose. Okay. Okay. Uh, I actually agree with that. Okay. I'm a very free version of the me you met back in 2002. Yes. And I think because all those components were already present, nothing that really happens with us is like exciting per se. Right. Or new or interesting because it's like well yeah that's kind of who we are well and, and the other thing that was interesting is you describe yourself as a relationship anarchist and 
in that moment, it occurred to, it occurred to me that I think I'm kind of a relationship anarchist too. Uh-huh. I see you smiling. I know this, <laughs> that, when you smile like that, I know that usually means you already had that thought, but you're waiting for it to come out of my mouth. You're waiting for me to have it too. But what I think is interesting about it, right, is like, I, yeah, I think I'm a relationship anarchist too. But I'm also monogamous, right? Mm-hmm. So being that way, viewing relationships that way doesn't automatically mean that you're poly. Right. I just, I'm just not the type of person that has time. Right. Or energy or bandwidth or whatever world you want to put in there. Right. To be dealing with multiple relationships. I just, I can't. Right. No, I'm just not true. that dude. No, you're not. You're not, baby. <laughs> you're definitely not, babe. I, I, mean... I look at you and I'm like, Okay. <laughs> Go ahead. I'm going to take a nap. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that's the thing. Like, there is a question of bandwidth and, like, how people can engage in multiple relationships and actually have people feel seen and affirmed. And that goes for any type of friendship as well, too. Like, it doesn't have to be romantic relationships where we're having that conversation. I have lots of friendships that I actively maintain. People who I don't even see anymore. Like, I've left Chicago. And some of my best friends are in Chicago. And it's a matter of being intentional about how I reach out to them and what types of conversations we have and how often I'm thinking of them. And I tell them, hey, I'm thinking of you. Like, these are things that I think that we sometimes neglect to do because we take, unfortunately, we take people in our lives very for granted. Yeah. But what I enjoy about being poly or relationship anarchist is that it encourages us not to take relationships for granted. It encourages us to, it encourages us to see relationships as all inherently important to who we are and also like fruitful. It's like the idea that having someone else in your life is actually making you a better person. And, and so, if, and it's not a one size fits all either. Every no. relationship is different, so you don't you don't have to show up in every relationship. You know, the way that someone says every friendship doesn't need to function a certain way. Every romantic relationship doesn't have to function a certain way. You get to set the rules, the barriers, the boundaries and the standards for every single one of your own relationships. Exactly. Which is why I like it, because it doesn't make sense to have one size fits all relationships, whether they're platonic or romantic. It should be based on how two people connect and what makes the most sense for you, as long as it's healthy and people are actually reciprocal and magnanimous and taking care of one another it really shouldn't matter about societal rules or expectations so i think what that means is as we think about season three and moving forward we should absolutely incorporate more episodes on poly life what it means for us how we navigate things like compersion which is effectively how you feel about your partner being with someone else um things like jealousy how we navigate time constraints, the fact that we have three kids and I typically will travel to see partners, even when I'm doing like research and things like that or conferences. And typically you are home with the kids when that's happening. So how do we manage time and budgets and all that stuff? And I think that that's stuff that people want to hear about. So we should talk about it. Yeah, we will. All right. So what's your topic? That was round one. Round one. Round two. Yes. I'm going to talk about this field of democratic candidates. Oh God. And I'm not going to take a lot of time, but... (laughs) This was obviously a big deal. It's still going on in all the time that, that we've been absent. Now I'm just, I'm just going to do a quick rundown of the people that I care about or matter. And if you don't matter, then you're not going to get called out. Cool. So, Cory Booker, mm. I, I need you to just go sit down somewhere. Just, yes. Just go yes. Get, get a Snickers bar or something. But Darren, he's from the hood. He's from the hood. The hood. <laughs> you know, that's where he where he hangs out. He's got in the hood. From the hood. I, don't, I don't have no time for it. <laughs> Nobody has time for it. Any any white people that are listening to this thinking, oh, maybe Cory Booker is is the next Barack Obama. He's the one that oh, the black no. people. No. 
black people don't have no time. But also, we don't need an next Barack Obama. We don't. That's a whole one, other podcast episode. Yeah, one one was good. I'm happy with the one we got. Yeah. We can now move on to something. Yeah, new. we needed some improvements on that one too, but yeah. Now yeah. that's Cory Booker. Yeah. Now, um, I can't remember the other one's name. Her name is uh, we call her Rogue. Rogue. <laughs> Tulsi Gabbard. Tulsi Gabbard. There we go. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm gonna keep calling her Rogue. I don't. She's not gonna be president, but even if she was elected president, I'd call her call her president Listen, Rogue. I'm the, sorry. My favorite thing about Tulsi Gabbard. Is that SNL skit where they said that she was tonight's villain? Yeah, I'm like, she really does look like. That's exactly what she looks like. The villain. She literally looks like I'm up here to steal your Dalmatians. <laughs> and I don't listen. I don't like her. I don't. Either. She has a couple of good things to say, but I don't like her. Well, she has good things to say because she knows how to play on right. what the headlines are about her opponents. But what I do like about her is she will come for your neck. So she a thug. I don't, I don't, who, is, who did she come for Kamala? Kamala. I loved it. That was one of my favorite I moments. Too. I did too. I was like, I was like ooh, where's the popcorn? I was like, they're about to fight. They're right. about to okay. fight because Kamala, she thinks she's on the hood. So she might actually throw hands. Yeah. That would have that been epic. She okay, got some votes. That's Tulsi. There nothing to say about her. No. Um, boo the judge. <laughs> Mayo Pete. Mayo Pete. <laughs> boo the judge. <laughs> this man, I swear, I swear to you, uh, what I will say is, so being on this end of the media platform, right? So we have media platforms. We have that black couple. We have water cooler combos. Mm-hmm. We get emails every day ad nauseum from like media outlets, mm-hmm. media relations, publicists. Mm-hmm. I have gotten so many emails yeah. from Pete Buttigieg. Yeah. Everyone is about Pete talking at Essence Fest or Pete reaching out to the black people and Pete talking to the people in the community and Pete's. Uh, um, Pete's plan for black women entrepreneurs. Uh, this man is trying everything humanly possible for black people to like him. Take the hint. We don't, we don't like, like you. you. We're not going to like you. It's not going to happen. I don't want it. We don't want it. No. We're good. Nobody asked for this. That's it. Mm-hmm. Okay. I don't have another to say about him. You're done? I'm, yeah, I'm done with him. I'm, oh, with him. With okay, him. Continue. And then we got... we got Steyer. Who's that? The guy with the money. Oh, the guy with the money. He got he got rainbow belts. Now he wants, but now he wants to give money to HBCUs. Okay. Okay. Trump did that. Oh God. Um, who else we got? We got Joe Biden. Who? Uh, okay, and then we got um, Kamala who quit. She Bye. Gone. She gone. Um, and we got um, Julian. Julian is Julian my Castro. nigga. Julian is my guy, yo. And Elizabeth Warren. Elizabeth so, Warren. It's difficult because I am a raging fucking anti-capitalist and I am not invested in her idea of how we get free, which is essentially that we use private corporations and the government to pool dollars together to somehow make us all freer. Like she actually thinks that capitalism is a way to free poor folks and black folks. I, I mean, I would like to see it. I don't know. I don't see, I mean... I don't know. I feel like, I feel like, I feel like, um, what's her name? Kiki um, Palmer. Sorry, right sorry now. to this man. Sorry to this man. <laughs> I, I do not know this man. I'm so sorry to this man. Because I don't know what the fuck she's talking about. Capitalism is inherently anti-black. It's racist. It's rooted in slavery. It's rooted in the history of white supremacy. There is no ethical form of capitalism and there is no ethical consumption under capitalism. But the one thing I will say is she's my number one candidate right now. Because at the very least, she's trying to say, well, at least let's take all the money from the rich motherfuckers. Right. At least that. Right. At I least mean, we can say they're evil and they shouldn't have all that money. So let's take it away. If there was a ticket, a Warren Castro ticket. I'm here for I'd it. I'd be good. I, I'm good. I'd be good. Not not that there's anything on the other side that I would vote for. Absolutely. And and Bernie. Sorry, I love you, Bernie. But 
I mean, I'm sorry. Whenever and we say Bernie, I think about that one debate where he kept waving his hand around and Joe kept yeah. ducking his hand. <laughs> he was like, he was like, whoa, whoa. It was like so he was like Neo in the Matrix. He just kept dodging <laughs> Bernie's hands, and I'm like, you know, Bernie is not the guy who's your president. He's just not. He's not that guy. He's the guy that yells at you from the corner and heckles you. Right. You know? And helps the president be better. Right. Because when you're here and you're like, you know what? You're, you're right. right. You're right, Bernie. You're right, Bernie. Let's integrate that into the plan. Now sit down. Now sit down, Bernie. Now sit down. And that's fine. He can Bernie, just... you're spitting. <laughs> Bernie, stop spitting on us. Okay. We got it, Bernie. He spits like Chris Matthews. <laughs> he really does. He really does. He really does. <laughs> but I love them all. You love them all? I do. I love them all. You love them all. I don't. <laughs> I don't love Buddha Judge. No, I don't like Buddha Judge. I don't, I don't love don't. Kamala. I'm glad she's out. I don't love Tulsa Gabbard. I fucked with like, Castro. Who's who does other motherfuckers? the rich No, the, these dudes that jumped in last minute. Deval Patrick. Oh, Bloomberg. Bloomberg. Go away. Well, like, Deval Patrick went to, was it Morehouse he went to? And tried to have a, a talk. Yeah, and, and the no room was empty. And people Zero on the people internet came. dragged him. They were like, maybe it was a different room, Deval. Like, nigga, if you no. go to a historically black university. As a black man. As a black man running for president of these United States and no one shows up. Boom, boom. Honey, boom, boom. It's time to put a wrap on it. Just it's, let it go. Just put that toothpick in. Check and see. Oh, it's done. You got to stop. Yeah, that's all right. We're done. Go enjoy your meal. Go sit down. Have some fruit. It's over. <laughs> all right. That was round two. Round three. Oh, Back round three's on me? Yes. Oh, shit. Oh, I guess I got to talk about Syracuse University. Go ahead. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. Well, that is my employer. Mm-hmm. And it's been a wild ride. It's a great school. It's a great school. I have amazing students. Like, I love them. I amazing think colleagues. Amazing colleagues. But, you know... Some racist shit popped off this semester, and I wasn't ready. Racist shit popped off, graffiti on campus, swastikas in the snow, you know, racist language about Asian Americans, indigenous folks, Jewish folks, black folks, people heckling and yelling at students, yelling the N-word. On the street. On the street. People emailing professors and telling them to hop in the oven. So... Yeah, that was a really interesting, I guess, entrance into the university this semester. But what I can honestly say is that, you know, while it was pretty fucking wild, it was low-key unreal. Like, as it was happening, I was like, this is not a real thing. Like, is this really happening? I'm trying to grade these papers, though. Um, But then I realized, oh, this shit is very real. And students were, you know, sitting in at the gym, the Barnes Center on campus, and there was protests and people were coming from all over the country. It was all over national news. And I was like, you know what? Like, why am I low-key not, like, super, like, shocked, not surprised? Because this has been my whole life in predominantly white institutions when I went to USC when I lived in Southern California and saw what was happening at UCLA and UCSD and all those schools that would have those racist frat parties with people who would dress in blackface and dress up like what they would say is Mexican people, which would essentially be whatever racist stereotype that they had about whatever mm-hmm. they saw on whatever TV show, you know, and going to Chicago and having to deal with racism there. We had racist pamphlets being handed out and that happened all through grad school. And now I'm here as a professor. Of course, I don't expect it to be any different. Of course, I don't think it to be different. So I think what was interesting this semester was now being on this side, right? Like now yeah. I'm an assistant professor 
And while I have like a modicum of power, it's not a lot, it definitely felt different having authority and being able to say, I'm canceling classes or I'm dropping the final exam or you don't have to come. You don't have to tell me nothing. You don't have to turn in this paper. Like, go take care of yourself. If you need a mental health day, like go get some rest, go to the counseling center, whatever you need. And that was something I think that was very like empowering for me to be able to say, like, I want to give this example to my students to let them know that like somebody has their back because I never fucking had that shit in undergrad. And and it's okay to feel threatened and scared right. and it's okay to need a break. Right. You're and not feel like it. your your life or your grade or your class or whatever is going to be penalized for that. Right. You shouldn't have to choose between your mental health and feeling safe and learning. Like that shouldn't have to be a choice that you have to make. And I think it was very sad for me seeing that students were having to make that choice. Like, I want to be here. I want to learn. I came to this school because I trusted them and I want them to be the institution that they said they would be. And then there was a disappointment on their faces where I realized this is the first time they're getting this lesson. Like, I got that lesson 17 years ago when I was at USC and I learned, oh, wait, this is a white supremacist institution, too. Because mm-hmm. all institutions in a country based in colonial history and white supremacy will be white supremacist institutions. And it took me learning that, like, in the flesh at USC to get that lesson. And I was sitting there looking at those people, those young people at the barn center during their sitting. And I was looking around like so sad. I was like, Oh my gosh, this is that moment for them. Yep. This is that moment for them where they learn that institutions ain't shit, but a bunch of fucking racism, misogyny, ableism, same shit that we try to actually get rid of institutions. Don't do nothing but reproduce. And that to me was the saddest thing that came out of this whole, like, this whole situation was, damn, they really had to go through this. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, I know that they have to. And I think to some degree, I was trying to shield them. But then I was like, oh, well, they're adults. These are young people who are growing up. And this is the, ro- the world that they live in. And this campus is a microcosm of the world. Yeah, and they, they have to understand that and learn it. But I think it was also nice that they had you to kind of show up for them. Yeah. To know, make them feel like they weren't alone or, or it wasn't just all students leading the charge. That there were faculty members that agreed and stood with them yeah um you wrote a really great piece about your feelings yeah my first article in the lily in the lily yeah um i'll definitely put that in the show notes so people can read it and i think it really does a great job of kind of talking about what you kind of said here but definitely doing it in a more expansive format kind of diving in a little bit deeper yeah so i mean here's the thing people have asked me like oh are you gonna stay oh is it time to go now here's the thing that's dumb about that okay you cannot outrun racism It's not possible. It doesn't exist. It's not a thing you can do. White supremacy is a global phenomenon. Anti-blackness is a global phenomenon. Capitalism, unfortunately, global phenomenon. When Mm -hmm. we think about the, for instance, the transatlantic slave trade, it's not like that was only happening on one continent or in one place. It was a global, mechanized, organized, facilitated process from places like India, Portugal, Spain, Italy, Germany, Europe, all over Europe, right? England. Everyone was engaged in the transatlantic slave trade because it was economically feasible. It was something that made their colonies grow. It's something that made their home states grow. So the idea that I will somehow just pick up from Syracuse University and leave and then land somewhere where this shit doesn't exist, that's a myth. Like that is not real. It's a fantasy. It's a fantasy. It doesn't actually, it's not a real thing. I mean, and people are like, oh, go to HBCU. So first of all, I am a woman, I am queer, I am poly, I am pro-sex, and pro-ho. 
You want me to go to HBCU? Which one? (laughs) Where is it at? Point me in the direction. Oh, shit. Low key? What? (laughs) Huh? I'm sorry, but what? The point being that as someone who sits in multiple margins of identity, as a woman, working class person, queer, all these things that I bring with me into a classroom, there's never going to be a place where all of that shit lines up. Or like, it could be a place, like I used to joke with my friends, let's make the Harriet Tubman, Ida B. Wells, like, you know, Celia Cruz, (laughs) (laughs) University of, you know, Audre Lorde and Bell Hooks, like that you'd have to literally grow a university from the ground up. And even then, it still exists in the society. Exactly. So. Exactly. And even then, you would have some folks within the institution who would think it was okay to be classist or fat phobic or transphobic or ableist because that's how the world works. So am I going to leave? No, I'm not going to leave. I'm not doing shit, but continuing to struggle against anti-blackness and white supremacy where the fuck I am. Like, I'm not going to move my fucking family and radically change our lives because I'm trying to avoid racist issues that are happening on a college campus. As an academic, as someone who works in a political science department, I know that I'm always going to have to be confronted with these types of issues. So for me, it's like, no, (laughs) like I'm a black feminist. (laughs) I'm <laughs> a radical queer black feminist. I, I don't run away from these problems. I stay there and I figure that shit out. I mean, that's what you, you have to do. I don't have a choice. And I think in in response to that, I feel like just from this one semester, you're actually kind of making Syracuse better in a way. Because okay, let's not give me too much credit. No, I'm not, I'm not saying you're like leading the charge or anything, but I'm saying like that type of attitude when it's not just one person, but it's multiplied across many people. That's what actually starts to make the whole environment better for the people that are that are there that have to deal with that type of stress on a day to day basis. Yeah, I mean, I definitely hope that I'm helping build community there and that I'm helping I'm helping students to think otherwise about how faculty members should exist in terms of how they support students. Yeah, I I, I think there's a lot more work to do. Oh, there is, and there always will be. Yeah. All right. So that was. Round three. Round no, that was round yeah, yeah, three. That was, right, that was round three. <laughs> Let me count correctly. That was round three. And now we are on to round four. Okay, what's your and round four? My round four was that whole drama around Cynthia Erivo. Oh God. And I, I feel some kind of way about this because I, I get that she made some off color comments. Off color. Off color. Off. Are you gonna say what she said? <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, there were comments about color. Okay. And so basically, there were a couple of tweets, and they, they're, I mean, they're somewhat recent, but also not super recent. Um, this is when she was still kind of on her rise, trying to make a name for herself. She's, if you don't know who Cynthia Revo is, she's actually a really great actress. Hey, I like her, I like her work. Don't be hating me. Don't I be like, hating me. I mean, I've only seen her in like two things, so it's not Right, like, how are you going to say she's a really great actress but, if you've only seen her in two listen, things? Yeah, I saw her in... And in both of those things, she was supporting cast. Right, and I saw her in Widows, and I thought she was both Supporting cast, and then that Very supporting one. cast. Well, the, I don't remember that what hotel was. one where people kept getting killed, and she was singing into a mirror. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Hotel Royale. Or Hotel, yeah, Battle at El Royale or whatever. Yeah, that's the two yeah. things you've seen her in. I thought she did a great job in both of those films. Great actress? She was a... She, okay, I'm not trying to say she's like top tier. I was going to say, because... I'm, I'm just saying... Let's just represent ourselves appropriately for the podcast. I'm just saying she has talent. 
Oh, of course. She's a great singer. She's a great singer. Um, she she did a lot of work on Broadway. She sure. was she played Celia in Color Purple. Yes. She got um, she she almost has an EGOT. The only thing she's missing is an Oscar. So she's not gonna get that. Well, they were saying that she was gonna try and get it for Harriet, and but I don't know. And she she got nominated, I think, for a Golden Globe for this role in Harriet. So I I think I think Hollywood's still trying to fucks with her, even though a lot of people have kind of moved on and said fuck that. But so. To double back. Mm-hmm. Now, what she said in the tweets was she was she was singing and someone said, oh, you know, basically they said, oh, you did a great job. She said, and, and she put in parentheses, she put ghetto American accent. Baby, you know, I got you. I'm going to sing it to you, but I still got to do what I got to do. You feel me? Right. Ghetto American accent. Ghetto American accent. Right. Mm-hmm. And then she also said that African and African American is a thing I understand more fully than most. If you think that a black. Right. If you what? If you think that a black, right? So basically, a black. When, and here's here's like a singular black. Yeah, like a black. Like a black. Wow. And I and the thing is, so she is from the UK, born and raised in the UK, right? And that's not to say that there are not black people in the UK. We all, well, we all should know that there are black people I in the UK. Hope so. I would hope we know that. Um, but we also know that there are a lot of people that that we would assume to put in that larger tent of black people mm-hmm. who don't necessarily want to identify themselves that way. Correct. But also following what she's saying in the tweets, she might still have some issues around how you speak about black people. Then why are you playing Harry Tubman? Then why are you playing Harry Tubman? And that's the question, right? A lot of people are like, if you're saying this stuff, why are you even up for this role? Right. Why did they give you the role? Right. How did you shoot the whole thing? Like, why is Zoe Saldana in the small? <laughs> Same question. <laughs> Same make, question. It don't make no sense. <laughs> don't make sense. It don't make no sense. <laughs> but I, I think I think the thing about the about Cynthia Erivo that gets me is there's really this wave of UK actors of UK entertainers in general that are really making a big entrance into U.S. entertainment structures. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people feel a way about it because they're like, wait, how are we going to have all of, these, all of these roles about American people that are iconic, who are so memorable, that are so important to our history and our, our culture, mm-hmm. be played by people who didn't even grow up here, who, right. don't, even, who don't even have that same culture. Yeah, they may be black, they may, but they're not from the U.S. Didn't Oyelowo play MLK? Yeah, yeah, same thing. Same example. And it's kind of like, I mean, obviously, Oya Lowe, he, he's cool. He's a great he, actor. I think he's great. And he ain't said nothing like this, like Cynthia Erivo said. No, he has not. <laughs> but I think, I think to me, that's the larger story. It's not not even just the stuff that she said, because obviously that's just some ignorant, dumb shit that she said. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people say ignorant, dumb shit, especially, day, when, when, especially when they're not on, because right. they don't think people are watching them. And if it's them. not about race, it's about gender or class or sexuality or something else. Right. And that's my issue, is I'm kind of like... The industry itself needs to take a look at that and say, you know, like we had Oscar so so white. Mm-hmm. The whole movement of that was not to say, hey, let's just put some people that have melanin in their skin. Correct. It was to say, think critically. Yeah, just a little bit intentionally. Be, yeah, be intentional about what you're doing. Be intentional about your casting choices. Be intentional about the stories that you're representing and supporting and funding, because that shit matters. But that also, I mean, I want to add to that in thinking about um, Queen and Slim. Which, oh. we, which we also didn't see, and which I'm not, I'm not going to pay to see that. No. Um, thinking about that and the news that came out about the casting call for Queen and Slim asking essentially for someone to um, audition who was dark like a slave. The casting description says 
that they were looking for a female between the ages of 20 and 35 who was brown skinned and theoretically, if she were a slave, she would have worked in the fields. That's what the casting call says. Who writes that? I don't know who the book writes that. <laughs> but that's that that's my problem, right? The larger problem here is the fact that entertainment, as we know of it today, is really fixated on skin tone, pigment, shade, in ways that doesn't really actually speak to representation and substantive representation. So right. people who actually have connections to communities, people who actually have the skills and the knowledge and the experience based on their upbringing or conditioning or socialization, it's like, oh, a brown person who would have been a slave. Perfect. <laughs> like, why are we still in a place in 2019 going into 2020 where we can't speak to, even even if you're just going to speak to, to skin color, where you can't speak more eloquently than, uh, than would look like a field nigga. Right, like, but also like, but also like, I really hope that people know that everybody could have been in the field. Exactly. And everybody could have been in the house. <laughs> like, the field negro, house negro theory is a theory. And yes, it holds in some instances primarily because masters were raping their slaves and having mulatto children who were mixed, who were often in the house because the master wanted to have their children and their offspring inside the house to exactly. protect it. Granted, that is a thing. That doesn't mean that there were no dark-skinned slaves who worked inside the house. Like, are you serious? And that doesn't mean that there were no fairer-skinned or lighter-skinned slaves who worked in the fields. Like, we have to do better. They under, they even understand that now, though, in TV. Like, what was, what was the show we were watching? Uh, was it... Oh, Underground. Underground. Under, underground got that. Yes. Right? Like, but also, like, here's the thing. I really hope people also know that there were other places that slaves worked besides <laughs> the house in the field. Like, there were barns. There were horses to strap down and keep clean. There was other, like, planting and kneading duties that had to do not with picking cotton, but actually growing food. Yeah. There were errands that had to be run. Like, I need people to think more critically about the fact that the plantation was basically a small business. And so it's not like people only worked in the house in the field. Right. And they didn't do some elaborate system where they were just like, okay, light, dark, dark field. Light. So there wasn't like a brown paper bag test to well, decide there, where you worked. There wasn't. <laughs> at that time. Not yet. Right? Yeah, I mean, not like, yet. are you serious? But it's just really frustrating to me that this is the casting call. But yeah, I think it goes back to the, the Cynthia Revo thing because it's like the laziness. is like the intellectual laziness of how the entertainment industry focuses on blackness like they're very okay with just saying we can just stick any old brown black blue black whatever type of person we think in this role because that's all we got to do to check this box and that's not fair yeah all right so that was round four round four time for round five round time five now. okay lord jesus okay so this is super new this is super new yeah we, we brought them all the way up to all comment. the way up okay so here we are um i've been on twitter really actively recently and i just want to debunk this whole bullshit that keeps coming up on twitter and across the social media webs about how black women came to understand and know feminism there is this theory online that somehow white women introduced black women to feminism and that somehow feminism doesn't serve us because we got it from white girls so here's the problem with that <laughs> well there's lots of problems there's with a that. lot of problems with that but the idea that okay first a white women didn't give a shit first of all first of all you can go back to the 1890s and see what was being published by folks like 
Ida B. Wells and Anna Julia Cooper and the speeches from Children of Truth to see that Black women have always been feminists. As soon as we were able to actually have shit published and recognized with our names on it, we've been feminists. I mean, actually, you can go to Incidents of a Slave Girl. Yep. She was writing in captivity. So I don't know what the fuck people are talking about. I don't know what the fuck people are talking about. So there's that. Second thing is, do people really believe that white women and black women just be kikiing like that? Like we just be out here like, hey, girl, I got this feminist struggle that I'm working on. Can you teach me some lessons? And white girls be like, oh, yeah. Like, hey, black woman, I don't see you as a threat at all. And I definitely want to see you grow and be better. I want you to have rights. <laughs> Here's feminism. Like, what the fuck? Like, are people serious? First of all, slavery was ended in, 19, in 1863. It officially, officially ended in 1865 because it took two years for folks to actually get all the news around yeah. that slavery had ended. 1890s is when we started getting published information from black feminists. That is only 25, 30 years. So you're trying to tell me that in 25, 30 years after the abolition of slavery, that white women said, you know what, fuck this white shit. I'm all about womanhood. And decided to train black women on how to be better women and how to have full yep. autonomy. From from the moment slavery ended, they were like, it is now our charge right. to hand down feminism right. to these black women. And here's the thing that I have an issue with with this, is that when black men say shit like this, when black men purport these theories, they're saying two things simultaneously. One, they're saying that black women can't think for ourselves. Like we can't figure out that we actually need autonomy and that we should be our own individual human beings. But what they're also saying, which to me is much more controversial and much more dangerous, is that white women are our saviors. Yep. That white women are the intellectuals and the ingenious behind all the shit that we've been doing for 150 or so years that that actually should be credited to white women and that they actually are the women who lead the charge when it comes to us being all freer. That to me is fucking disturbing. Like, that's disturbing. Like, it's ahistorical as fuck, but not only that, wow, y'all really love white women. I mean, it's that same thing where I'm like, it's 2019 and this is where we are? What would motivate white women to free black women? What would they get from that? I don't understand how you see the Kardashians today and think that white women would want us to be free. <laughs> I just don't understand it. And I'm so irritated by this. Like I've been posting about this on Twitter all day and I'm so frustrated by it because what gets me is that it then also undercuts all the work that black women have been doing all this time. All the fucking writing, all the fucking rebellions, all the shit that black women have contributed to, to movements that had nothing to do with white women. Movements around racism, the fact that black women were major, major, major in black suffrage. And then we didn't even get the right to vote until well after men did. And then even after men did, we still had to wait till 1970 until everybody got the vote. So it was like, it, it's like, what, what are we... What are we actually talking about? Meanwhile, black women still get paid significantly less than white women and significantly less than white men. So I just don't understand where this, like this theory of solidarity between black women and white women, where this theory comes from, because it's not rooted in reality. Yeah, I don't think, I don't think it's rooted in reality. I think it's rooted in just trying to separate people and trying to undermine people and, and the work that they've done. I think that's, I think that's really what it's all about. I think it's all about saying, hey, black women, they got this feminism thing. 
and I don't like it because it's making me hold my feet to the fire and treat them like actual fucking human beings. And so what I'm going to just say is, you know what? That's some white shit. <laughs> and of course, if I tell black women that feminism is something that white women do, they'll go, oh, hell no, nah, I can't do that. You know, freedom, that sound white. Mm-hmm. <laughs> don't want that. And that's the thing that gets me is like, it, it's, it, besides it being intellectually dishonest and ahistorical, it just is so disrespectful to black women. And I'm like, when I hear anybody say that, I'm like, you don't love us. Yeah. You don't love black women. And not only that, you don't love black people. Because to be honest, black women have worked our asses off to make sure that black people were freer. And that's something that is like well-documented, understood. We build communities, organizations. We put our lives on the fucking line. We're the ones losing kids and partners and cousins and babies and all this shit. Fucking black maternal death rate is on the rise. And you're going to sit here and try and tell us that black, that black feminism came from white ladies. From Susan and Karen and Julie. People put their lives on the line to get that stuff published. And Margo <laughs> and Chloe. Good night. All right. Okay. So that was round five? Yes. Round six. Oh, God. The finale. Oh, God. The finale. Yes. Let's, let's end here. Yes. And so I'm going to bring it on home with probably the the biggest name of the year. And the biggest news of the week. Oh, yeah. She got voted um, Time Entertainment or Entertainer of the Year. Yeah. Yeah. This was her year. This was her year. The this year, the year, the year of, of our Lord Lizzo. 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 Yes. yes. And, I mean, she's been killing it. Mm-hmm. And... The big hullabaloo this time is she went to a Lakers game. Mm-hmm. The Laker girls were dancing. They were playing her song. Mm-hmm. They were playing Juice. Mm-hmm. And Lizzo, who was, I think she had a floor seat, mm-hmm. right? Because she's is Lizzo. Lizzo, right? She gets up and starts dancing. And then she turns around and twerks. Yes. And her whole ass was out and she had a thong on. It's her iconic moves. Twerking right. is her iconic shit. And of course, I mean, we know how the internet works. So everyone came and was like, oh my God, oh my Lizzo, God her booty she is should out. not be doing that. I've never Lizzo. seen a butt before and now oh. I'm scarred for life. Girl. This is Lizzo. Girl. I feel like I feel like Lizzo, Lizzo should be able to do whatever the hell she wants to do. She is able to do whatever the fuck she wants to do. And that's why people are so mad. Yeah, I mean, she, she literally is a personification of fuck you. I'm going to do what I want to do. <laughs> and I'm not even just going to do it, do whatever I want to do. I'm going to do it very well. And I'm going to do it so well to the point that you're mad that you like what I'm doing. But also, I mean, I think that's true. But I also think, and this is important, people are only mad because she's a big black girl. She's yeah. a big black girl. She's beautiful. She don't give a fuck. She's like, I'm thick. My ass is fat. Kiss it if you don't like it. Yeah. And the issue that people have is that they want to see... Someone who aligns themselves with traditional Eurocentric beauty ideals. They want to see, you know, thin, 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 thin waists and fake lips and blonde hair and blue eyes. And they want to see shit like that. If a Kardashian had it, I keep talking about the fucking Kardashian, but if a Kardashian had to walk around like that, it would have been Tuesday. It would have been I mean, a day ending in sure. day. If, if, even if Nicki Minaj had done that. She did do that, actually. I saw an image of her at an NBA game and she literally had what? her ass out. Well, there you go. Right, right. And what gets me about this is like, just admit you're fucking fat phobic. Just admit that you just don't like that fat people exist. Just admit that you don't like the fact that a fat person dares to exist in their fucking body without your fucking permission. And be and be comfortable. Right. And and not subscribe to whatever your notions are of how they should present themselves and walk through the world. Right. 
and be on the covers of magazines and be on the top of billboard charts and be like, kiss my black ass. Like, that's the thing that gets me too. I also feel like if she were white, it'd be a different conversation, right? There's all these variables that are happening. And this is what intersectionality is about. This is the thing that she's at multiple intersections of identity. And because she sits at these intersections, people are having this visceral reaction because the truth is y'all don't like none of them people. You don't like black people. You don't like black women. You don't like fat people. You don't like anybody who has a nerve to come out here and be actually in their own skin authentically. How dare she, how dare she actually look how she actually looks and not get surgery and then have all this fake shit on her body. How dare she actually be her own fucking self like that? Just be honest. You don't like when a black, thick, fat, beautiful woman thrives you don't want to see it you hate to see it and that's the thing to me is looking at her uh, when i when i saw the video i just thought this is just pure joy yeah she is living her best life she's had a great year an amazing year Mm -hmm. right i mean and this is someone it's it's not like she just popped up one day and was like oh i want to be a singer she's been working her ass off for a long ass time yeah and it all came into fruition this year and she was prosperous and she's there she's out having a great time and trying to really live in the joy of, of her prosperous year. Right. And they're playing her song at the L.A. Laker game. Bitch. And she's on sitting on the floor seat. If it was my song and it yes. was my year and yes. I was sitting on the floor yes. and they were playing my song and the Laker girls were right in front, literally right <laughs> in front of me dancing to my song. Hey, I might do, I might show my ass and I think you twerk. pop and twerk and I think you twerk. drop I, it down I, I, low. I've seen you I mean, drop it low before. I mean, hey. I think you would do it. I, I think I think you have the right. To indulge yourself in yes. that joyful moment. Yes. No matter who you are. Thick, yes. thin, tall, short, brown, black, purple, Able, blue. disabled. Absolutely. And if Taylor Swift had done it, it would not be a conversation. No. We'd be like, oh, there go Taylor Swift again. Oh, look at her. She's so thin looking like a chicken leg. Look at that crab leg. Fucking bitch. <laughs> so, yes. I mean, I'm glad we end in here because I feel like I'm getting angry. Like, as we as we proceeded through the conversation, we are talking about this black feminist stuff. And now we're talking about Lizzo. And I'm like, oh, I hate the fucking internet. I just hate the fucking internet. And it's reminding me why I work so hard to, like, provide some type of critical analysis about why people dislike the things that they dislike. Like, why people are disgusted by what they're disgusted by. Right? It's like our disgusts. And our dislikes are so indicative of our socialization and who we believe belongs and who gets to be a citizen and who gets to wear what and who gets to live in their skin and who should be hidden and who should be ashamed, right? And like that shit to me is is part and parcel of the American identity, right? Like it's part and parcel of like, how do you know if someone is American? It's like, are you disgusted by them? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Wow. <laughs> it's real shit, though. That's a word. <laughs> it's real shit, though. It's real shit, though. Like, a, for a lot of heteronormative, white, cisgender, middle-class, able-bodied, upper-class people, that's for real shit. They're disgusted by poor people. They're disgusted by black people. They're disgusted by previously incarcerated people. They're disgusted by the people who they're imprisoning at the fucking border for fucking existing. They're disgusted by trans folks and queer folks, right? Like... Literally, that's the bar at this point is like this idea of disgust. I keep thinking about um, Marie Hancock. She's a feminist at USC and she has this book called The Politics of Disgust. And that's pretty much what, what it is. It's like people are measuring people's Americanness, citizenship and belonging by how non-disgusting they are. Yeah. And that to me is disgusting. 
like what you hear? You can find my mom and dad, aka That Black Couple, on the web at thatblackcouple.com. You can find them on Facebook at That Black Couple, and you can find them on Instagram and Twitter at That BLK Couple. If you have questions or comments about the show, email them at thatblkcouple at gmail.com. Thank you for listening. Okay, so here we are with the reflection. You ready? I've, I've never been more ready. Shut up. It's been a long time since we've reflected. We shouldn't have left you. Without a dope beat to step to. 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 Okay, I'm divorcing you now. Um, <laughs> so, all right, so we have to reflect. And I think that the best thing we should do right now is talk about where we're going next. Because we've been gone for like four months. And that's trash. Let's tell people what's going to happen now. Okay. All right. So, first thing, next episode is about Being Howie Polly. Yeah. Okay. So, we'll have a Howie Polly episode. We'll talk about what Polly life looks for us, how we manage time, budgets. What else? What do people want to know? How you do it? Yeah. I just, I just, I feel like we did that one Polly episode. Yeah. And I wasn't expecting as much feedback and interest as we got from that. Me either. Um, and I think people are just, their interest is really peaked and it's one thing where i think people generally feel uncomfortable asking questions or they don't know who they can ask questions of and they don't know what questions to ask right and then i think people that didn't know us in whatever shape form or fashion were like wait jen's poly niggas knew i was poly no but but i think like it was one of those things where people didn't like fully realize it they knew it but they didn't know no yeah and then they're like Hold up. Wait, and Darren's cool with it? How the hell and does he, that work? he ain't bust her in a jaw yet? <laughs> <laughs> he ain't divorced his hoe? <laughs> and, and, I, and I think people, I think a lot of ways we have generally like a cookie cutter yeah. lifestyle from the outside looking in. I mean, if you, if you don't know nothing about us and you see us walking with our puppy and our children, right. then yes. And so people say, wait, you have that, but... You also have one of one of one of the partners is actually Polly. And how does that and all queer? Yeah, like yeah. how does that all jive yeah. together? So we right? should do a whole episode that explains how all that works. Yeah, what our life looks like. I think people should send us questions. I would I would love questions. I think people should send us questions on Twitter. They should send us questions via email. Um that BLK couple at Gmail. Mm-hmm. Um, so we should definitely get questions that people have for us about how we poly, how we budget, how we deal with time and logistics. Um, you know, when I have partners and travel and visiting and all that stuff, like whatever questions people have, cause I, you know, since I'm in it and I'm the poly person and you're in it and you're non poly, but you're in it, we don't really know what people want to know. Yeah. And I think that's the other thing is I think a lot of people are really inquisitive about the other side, like. So yeah. how does how do how do I function as a non poly partner? And I think that's even interesting for people that are poly because they're like, wait, I understand if if it's a coupling relationship and everyone's poly, but yeah. how does that work when one of you is not? Yeah, I mean, even for me in in poly circles, when people find out that I have a partner, a nested partner who is monogamous, they're shocked. Like recently, I didn't realize this. I've been in a group on Facebook, a poly group that's mostly queer folks. It is queer folks, and. I've been in that group for like four or five months and they just realized that I'm married with kids. And I'm like, how? Like, I, 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 I don't hide anyone. I, I just think the expectation is not 
Right. That if you're poly, that you're not going to be married. Right. That you're not going to have. Well, not that, but if you're a woman, that you're not going to be married to a cisgender heterosexual man. And that if you're a queer woman, that you're certainly not going to have, you know, children that you had with a cisgender heterosexual man. Yeah. And so, and, and when I'm in straight poly groups, a lot of the questions are around, like, how is it that he's monogamous and you're poly? Because usually it's the other way around where, the, for instance, the wife will be monogamous and the man will be poly. So, yep. yeah, we should talk about it. But, you know, as we say in our intro, we, we do things differently. We do things differently. Yeah. So we'll talk about that on the next episode. Then the following episode, we're going to talk about what? Black masculinity and, and intimacy. Oh, goodness. And I, I've, this is one episode I've been really <laughs> oh, wanting to God. do for a long time. Lord. And I know we're going to really dive deep into some shit on this one. It's going to be mostly you talking. No, it, uh, I think everyone listening knows it's not going to be okay, mostly me fine. talking. Okay, uh, fine. 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 It might seem that way. You might think that that's what's going to happen. I mean, I'll talk about my research, mm-hmm. but I am going to defer to you. I am not masculine. You know, I'm high femme. I'm high femme. Yeah. But I will talk about my research. But you also have deep knowledge on intimacy. I have deep knowledge on intimacy. And I think the relationship between masculinity and intimacy is, is always an interesting thing to I agree. dive deep in on. I agree. Okay, so we'll do that. And then the next episode, we'll talk about... Parenting without gender roles. Right. Okay, this is another thing we got a lot of questions about. People have asked about our kids because, A, they're growing up in a household where their mother is queer and poly. But also, they're growing up in a household where we don't really subscribe to gender in the same ways that traditionally we were raised in, and how society typically uses gender to organize people and facilitate social norms. So, I mean, it's weird. Again, we're in it, so it's very hard for me to describe that. Like, for me, it's like, I just don't believe that clothing can be gendered. Right. I don't believe that we can tell our kids what their gender is. I believe that they have to tell us. And I think that we should check with them regularly and ask them, like, are you a girl? Are you a boy? Are you not either one? Do you care about that stuff? Do you want to talk about it? Do you not? Like, I think that those are questions and that they should decide. I don't think we should decide for them, but I don't think that's weird. I think, I think, and I think the big underlying question in that is that, like, how do you identify? And it's not just about gender. It's not just about sexuality. It's really just the person that you are, right. how do you identify yourself? Right. Who how are do you, you? What do you like? Yeah. How do you want to show up in the world? How do you view yourself? Right. right? Like and, Logan didn't like pizza for a long time. The shit was weird. And we were like, shit, I hate that you don't like pizza. It's so annoying. But, but you, don't you don't like, like pizza. pizza. <laughs> okay. We all going to eat it. You can eat something else. We're yeah. going to eat some pasta with you. Yeah. But you don't like pizza. And then one day he decided, you know what? I do like pizza. And but we were the, like, cool. But the pizza I like has no cheese on it. <laughs> and it's covered in garlic and red onions. And we're like, wow, your breath's going to be hot. But, you know, whatever you like, baby. If that's what you like, that's what you like. <laughs> so, I mean, it's just one of those things where I think it's about allowing children to be human beings. Full human beings who are autonomous, who understand their own bodies and their own needs and their own desires for themselves and respecting that. And I feel like that is your chief job as a parent Yep, is to, to give your children the space and the, and the, and the playground to right. figure out who they want to be. Correct. And embody that and understand what that is. I love the playground analogy. I like yeah. That. Cause you know, you try things, right? You got a seesaw, you got monkey right. bars, you got a jump rope, hopscotch, I was always too damn tall for the monkey bars. I banged my head on the monkey bars four, five, six, seven, eight times. I still tried them. Yeah, but eventually you learned. Not I can't for do me. the monkey bars. I can't do the monkey bars. It's not my calling. But tetherball, 
Listen, bitch. You a slay. Listen, bitch. <laughs> Try me in some tether ball. Try me, nigga. You won't touch the ball once. You won't touch it because I'm taller than you. It's going to go over your head. Don't even try me. Right? So I, I, I agree. And I think that'll be a great episode. And then our last episode for the year will be our new year episode. Our here's what we're leaving in 2019. Here's what you can expect for 2020. Here's where we're going with the podcast. And we'll pick our words that will guide us into the following year. Yeah. That's awesome. I'm looking forward to it. And I'm sure you all are all looking forward to it as well. I hope so. Um, And then one more, more thing that I want to touch on before we kind of close out in this episode okay. is I also want to talk about what we have coming up next year. Oh, Lord. Um, because, you know, we talked, we tar- charted out the rest of season two. And I, I'm glad that we can now say that we're finishing up two seasons of this podcast. Right. right. Once again, broadcast live from our, our basements. basements. Yes. Um. But season two, uh, season three, excuse me, we're going to start off with a whole series of episodes and all of these episodes are going to be around the concept of accountability. Yeah. yeah. And I think we definitely live in a place and a time where accountability really needs to be interrogated in all of its, all of its um, facets, all the places that it shows up, whether it's in celebrity culture or if it's in politics or it's in um, your home, um, how you show up in the world. I think it's something that we really need to interrogate and really dive deep in on. And that's why I'm glad that we are now actually earmarking multiple episodes to go through um, that topic. Absolutely. I fucks with it. Thank y'all for listening. Before you go, make sure you follow us on Twitter and Instagram at that BLK couple on Facebook at that black couple and look us up on the internet at www.thatblackcouple.com. Bye.